everyone, and welcome back to Operation History, a podcast where history is more than what you remember. We are back to a half-filled digital table after a few months of special guests. So tonight we've got David. Good evening, everybody, and happy Thursday. It is Thursday on our recording day. Yes, and it's me, Lauren. So we are... Going back to the 17th century tonight, and we are going to be talking about Roger Williams and kind of the founding of what is now Rhode Island and Providence. So let's get started. So before we get started in the actual talking, I just wanted to say, um, David, I don't know if you saw our, uh, whether we're talking about Hint on Instagram or Facebook, but if you didn't, and if anyone else out there isn't on our Facebook or Instagram, if you have the social medias, follow us at Operation Hist. We say it every time. Uh, you will see there's a picture of a tree root. That's what that is. And that was our hint for this month's episode. That is because this is known as the tree that ate Roger Williams. Dave, have you ever heard of this? I actually visited that tree. Oh, I love that. A, I few, a few years ago, uh, I was on a ghost tour, and that was one of the places that we went to go visit. Did you see good old Raj? I did see good old Raj. Our and, dubs. It, and it made my heart grow just a little bit that day. <laughs> so for people that aren't from Rhode Island, aren't from New England, and don't know what we're talking about... Um, so Roger Williams, the guy that we're talking about today, he dies in 1683 and he's buried on his family property. Cool, fine, whatever. Uh, but in 1860, the people of Providence wanted to build a memorial in Roger Williams' honor. Uh, he is the founder of Providence, and which would later, you know, expand and become Rhode Island. And they wanted to dig up his remains and rebury him because he was kind of an unmarked grave, which was not uncommon in the time period. So they go to what they believe is the burial site of Roger Williams. They crack open the coffin. Uh, they find some hair, some teeth, uh, some bone fragment, all that gross stuff that you find when you bury somebody. And they also find an apple tree root and they believe that this is a apple tree root that grew into his skeleton when it was still there so if you look at the picture it's kind of a line and then it kind of breaks off into two i'm using my hands for people that are listening i don't know why <laughs> but they think it looks like the shape of roger williams's back legs and feet um, I don't know how accurate that is. I don't know if they've done DNA testing on the bones or the teeth that they found. But, um, if you want to go see the tree that ate Roger Williams, um, the Rhode Island Historical Society has it at the John Brown House in Providence. Um, they have part of it and it's on display. Um, that monument did get built, by the way, and apparently they took some of that root and buried it or added it to the monument. But the actual tree is 
at the Historical Society and you can go see it like Dave did. And maybe you'll see the ghosts of Roger Williams. Who knows? Um, I don't know. Like, I think when I first heard of it, I thought it was going to be much more creepy and have like arms and stuff too. But it's just a stick that breaks off too. But I just thought it's such an obscure reference that I put out there. We might as well tell you what you were looking at. And that but, tree is that tree is cool to see. I think I went and visited during a ghost tour, so that was our star point. And it was just, especially since it's overlooking the city of Providence, and so like there's the tree, and then there's the rest of the landscape, and it's like, oh yeah, where we started, where we're at now. Interesting contrasting uh, contrastment. Yeah, it's cool. I don't know if anyone listening has ever been to Providence, but the Rhode Island Historical Society is up on it. It's huge hills, like really steep hills, so you can really see everything. Oh, that's kind of cool. But let's back in time 400 years and talk more about the guy that would later get eaten by a tree. Uh, Spoiler alert, I am not a fan of this guy. As a colonial historian, I am... Not a fan of most people that I study, unfortunately. Um, we have some good people. We have a lot of kind of shady people. We have a lot of people that kind of go both ways. Uh, before we start recording, I said to David, I was actually talking to a friend of mine. His name's Brad. And he's a Wampanoag person. And I told him that we were talking about Roger Williams this week or this month. And he said, Roger Williams is perhaps the most pretentious and at the same time sly person involved. He was so convinced in his faith, it allowed him to do things he criticized of others at times. And then we went on to say, he was the first, but I have a native friend guy. So, well, just to set the scene, this is what our... <sighs> Um, a colleague of mine, a friend of mine, Brad, has to say about Roger Williams. Um, but anyway, so Roger Williams is born around 1603 in England. Like many people of the time period, not much is known about his early life. But he did study the ministry at Cambridge and graduated around 1627. So back then, in order to become a minister... Um, to be a pastor, you had to go to college. So either Cambridge or Oxford. Um, pretty quickly, Williams becomes familiar and involved with the Puritan movement that's been going on around him. And he distanced himself from the Church of England pretty quickly. Now, this could be a whole other episode, but basically what's happening is for the Puritans, they want to purify the Church of England. So Church of England, Henry VIII wants to get a divorce, so he splits from the Catholic Church and creates the Church of England, the Anglican Church. The people of the Puritan movement think that the church did not go far enough to separate from Catholicism. So that's what they want to do. And so the Puritans uh, in this area, we know them as pilgrims in Plymouth in 1620 and up in Boston, Massachusetts Bay Colony, a city upon a hill in 1630. So that's a really basic explanation, but basically these are individuals that are not part of the Church of England. 
at the time it was the law to attend Church of England church. So they were actually breaking the law by meeting separately and doing their own beliefs. They wanted to go back more to what the Bible was doing and going to what the scripture says goes and not so much what the king or the pope says goes. Roger Williams arrives in Boston in 1631. And so because he's already kind of involved in the Puritan movement, he's already well known by people over there, including the governor of Boston, John Winthrop, who refers to uh, Williams as a godly minister. And we have governor of Plymouth, William Bradford, who refers to Williams as a man godly and zealous. So they know him and they like him and they're happy that he's over here. That quickly changes. Uh, so he's here in 1631. He comes over with his wife on the lion. And shortly arriving in Boston, Roger is, Roger, like we're friends. Um, he is asked to join the congregation and become pastor of the Boston church. He says no. And one of the main reasons he cites as saying, no, I will not join your church, I will not be your pastor, is because the church, quote, would not make a public declaration of their repentance for having communion with the churches of England while lived there, unquote. Now, that's a lot of gibberish in 17th century speak. And basically what they say, um, the people in Boston, while they were Puritans, not part of the Church of England, they would take communion. Um, or the Lord's Supper in the Church of England when they were living in England. They saw they really didn't have a choice at the time, so they're not going to apologize for it now because they had no other option. Roger Williams does not agree with this. He says you should repent, you should ask for forgiveness, and you should renounce all those people that you were taking communion with back home. So... Roger Williams says, no, I'm not going to be your pastor. And instead, same year, 1631, he goes to Salem to become their minister. So he's kind of like, I'm not going to join you guys because I have a job offer up here. So I'm going to go do that. Uh, the people of Boston were unhappy about it, to say the least. They were like, what the hell? Um, this guy's just going to do what he wants, basically. Um, Williams is generally liked by the people of Salem. Uh, they do like him. Um, but because Massachusetts Bay, as a general, the people in charge, the people of Boston, they're kind of harassing him. Uh, they don't really like what Williams is saying. And so he leaves Salem and ends up in Plymouth. Uh, the people at Plymouth are like, oh, this is awesome. We love this guy. Uh, this is cool. Yeah, come on down. It's fine. Um, and Roger Williams seems to think that he would fit in a little bit better, better in Plymouth. So we're talking about the Puritans. There is a split in the Puritan movement. There are straight up straight up Puritans and there are separatists. Uh, the way that my girlfriend Natalie describes it is there's a rotting boat. The Church of England doesn't think it's rotting, it's fine. The Puritans say we have to fix this boat so that it stays okay. 
the separatists say, we have to leave the boat. There's It's not worth saving. So basically what that means is the Puritans, like up in Boston, are trying to cleanse or purify the church from it, the inside. People of Plymouth, so Plymouth Rock, William Bradford, they are separatists. They believe it's not worth saving, so we have to start from scratch. There's some nuances about that with historians these days, but that doesn't really matter right now. <laughs> um, so Roger Williams is like, oh, sweet. I'm kind of more of a separatist nature. Um, I think we should renounce taking communion with Church of England people while in England. This is going to be awesome. But uh, Williams eventually believes that they don't go far enough. They're like, oh, you're kind of, you know, now that Boston's here, you're kind of just doing what they're doing. Uh, you're not going far enough. Meanwhile, Williams is kind of getting into some conflict down there. So he's like, you guys are doing a great job. And people at Plymouth are like, oh, you're not doing a great job either. Uh, Roger Williams becomes assistant to their pastor. So he's, a, you know in charge he's talking to people he's making connections um but william bradford goes on to write that williams began to quote fall into some strange opinions and from opinion to practice which caused some controversy between the church and him and in the end some discontent on his part unquote so as williams walk around saying that we have to separate more he's continuing with his opinions about uh the church of england about the king uh, people of Plymouth start to back away a little bit. They're like, hey, you're a nice guy, but we don't need this here. Um, so eventually Roger Williams says, okay, can I go back to Salem? Because I do like it up there. And the people of Plymouth say, sure. Uh, they continue to be on good terms with him, despite the fact that they're like, this guy's nuts. Um, and William Bradford says that he hopes that he pities and prays for what Roger Williams and hopes God will help show him his errors. So he's like, hey, you're just a little bit, you know, you got to get knocked in the head a little bit, but we like you. So this is 1633. So in three years, give or take, Roger Williams has gone to Boston, up to Salem, down to Plymouth, and up back to Salem. Now, I think I didn't mention this, and it's important to know at this point, Plymouth is a separate colony from Boston and Salem. So there's Massachusetts Bay and Plymouth colony. Uh, so that's kind of why he kind of jumped over the border, and now he's jumping back over. So Roger Williams is back in Salem by 1633, and almost immediately he begins to speak out against the churches and magistrates there, and he actually begins to build a following. Uh, one of his major opinions that got him in trouble was that he believed that colonial charters were invalid. So the way that colonial charters, <laughs> yeah. Um, so basically, he's saying, uh, you know, we say that we're our king's the king of this land, but they already have kings. In this case, it's indigenous sachems. Uh, so he kind of says. We shouldn't be looking at the king for permission to be here. We should be looking for indigenous permission to be here. We should be going directly to um, Wampanoag, Massachusetts, Narragansett, etc. Sanctums. And 
not so much look at the king, which is a big no-no. It's not, it's not a good look. Um, he actually goes as far as attacking the king with a written manuscript about this. Um, Talk about kind of wanting to make enemies quick. Yeah. So if you want to make an enemy, say, um, in the 17th century, say that the king is wrong and indigenous people deserve rights. Which is very blunt, but 400 years ago, these Englishmen thought that they ruled the world, right? Um, so, Williams gets hauled before a court in Boston, and it appears that the manuscript ended up being burned before it was published. If it was published or distributed anywhere, people have not found it. Uh, so, it's unclear exactly, you know, the exact verbiage, but that's basically what he was getting at um later on salem asks the courts for land grants to expand their territory and they actually get denied and they say well sure if you kick out williams over here that doesn't happen things come to a head so Williams continues to do this, kind of say whatever he wants, whatever. And in 1635, uh, they hold him to court for a final time to sort of charge him with sedition. So basically they're saying, this is not it. You cannot be saying these things um, about uh, ministry meetings, about the king, about indigenous land rights, um, all these different things. He's actually guilty and banished from the colony. Uh, the people of Massachusetts Bay Colony, actually, this is not uncommon. They delay his sentencing, his banishment until the spring, which is not uncommon. Um, if people have ever heard of Anne Hutchinson, who is another person that ends up in Rhode Island, uh, she's banished, but she's still around because they wait until spring for her to move out. Um, during this entire time, Williams continues to just spew his nonsense um, or what they believe to be nonsense. So they actually get a ship and they're going to send him back to England. That's the plan. Uh, we see this a lot in Plymouth. If they don't like someone, especially a minister, they just put him on the next boat. They say, okay, get lost. Now, we know he doesn't get to England because in the story, Rhode Island has not been founded yet. So by the time the ship shows up to haul him off, they go to his house, he's already gone. Um, actually, John Winthrop, the um, founder of Boston, uh, he's governor of Boston for many years, he seems to tip off Williams. He's like, hey, you should go down to Montanog territory. He's like, okay, sweet, I will. Um, at this point, Williams has about... 20 followers and they actually leave with him and williams ends up in wapanog territory and he approaches or is approached by the massasoit um his name's actually usamequin and he is the leader of the poconoket wapanog which for people with a map that's now modern day bristol rhode island uh so he says oh yeah you can Set up camp on the Seekonk River. Here's a land deed. I I think basically John Winthrop and Plymouth Fouch, they're like, yeah, he's a nice guy. And he was like, yeah, sure. Um, 
Usamequin has a long-standing relationship with especially Plymouth at this point since 1621. So he's kind of like, yeah, sure, why not? So they begin to settle um, in what's now East Providence. Now, Plymouth gets wind of Williams being there, and they're like, hey, man, cool what you're doing, but technically you're on our land. But if you go to the other side of the river, like, we'll be totally fine. That's not ours. So basically, here's this indigenous leader being like, yeah, you can stay here. And Plymouth's like, but I want it, which is so classic. Classic colonialism. Um, Wait a minute. That's mine. Yeah. Literally, they're like, hey, hey, bestie. So sorry. Can you jump ship? And Williams is like, yeah, sure. <laughs> He's like, whatever. So they just kind of like gather up all their stuff and just move across the river um, into what's now Providence. When he jumps ship, I saw one source that says Usamequin or Massasoit um, gives him another land deal. But technically, it's on Narragansett territory. So it goes from Wapnock to Narragansett. I don't know how true that part is, um, but I've seen more evidence or almost every account says that uh, Williams is then approached by Narragansett sachems or leaders uh Canonicus, and I've seen Miantonomo and Miantonomi. I'm going to go with Miantonomo because that's what I've seen the most. Um, any Narragansett people out there, please correct me. Um, so Williamson's followers end up in Narragansett territory. Uh, Miantonomo and Canonicus are like, yeah, land deal. You can stay. That's fine. So in 1636, Providence was founded where it is now today. Almost immediately, so the same, that's the kind of, um, I guess, not major stopping point, but now Providence exists. Roger Williams, like I said at the top, he lives until the 80s, and for the first half, it's almost like the Hamilton musical, right? Like the first half act, you're kind of like, yeah, Hamilton, pop off. And then the second act, you're like, oh, fuck this guy. Um, I feel like people hear, when they hear about Roger Williams, especially in the school systems in Rhode Island, um, he's this guy who wants religious freedom, and he wants indigenous rights, and all this great stuff, but in reality, it's much more complicated than that. Um, he's very, like my friend Brad was saying, he's a very sly person. Um, what he says outwardly and his actions occasionally contradict each other. Not occasionally. They contradict each other pretty often. So in 1636, uh, the Pequot War breaks out in Massachusetts Bay Colony. Now, again, this that could be like a three-part episode, honestly. But basically what happens is um, somebody, a Dutch person gets killed because the indigenous people that kill him think that he's English. It's a get back at someone else dying and next thing we know there's a war going on um providence was not directly involved here it's mostly massachusetts bay colony uh with against pequot people plymouth provides kind of emotional support um, i'm sure some men go out and fight but it's nothing that's written down 
as something that happened. And Roger Williams goes to the Narragansett people and say, hey, you should ally with the English against the Pequot in this scenario. Now, at this point, the English are slaughtering hundreds of men, women, and children. Um, there is something called the Mystic Massacre that happens during the Pequot War, where it's something like 500 men, women, and children of um, the Pequot nation are killed in an hour. Like, it's bad. And the survivors are being sold into slavery. So indigenous slavery was happening here in New England. And Narragansett Sachems, Mantonomo, and Canonicus are horrified. This kind of chattel slavery that's beginning to happen here in New England. They're like, this is not okay. This is ridiculous. I'm horrified. So they're going to ally with the English so that that's not happening to their bodies. And Williams actually writes to Massachusetts Bay Colony that um, enslaving Pequot bodies would only create more conflict. And the Narragansett Sachems are absolutely horrified with the enslavement and the slaughter that's happening. Ironically, uh, Williams brought an indigenous boy into his home after the war and named him Will. Uh, we don't know much about him, but he seems to kind of flip on how um, enslaving Pequot people will just create further conflict. Uh, he also encourages Narragansett to turn over to Massachusetts Bay Colony any Pequot refugees who fled to Narragansett land. So basically what happens after the war, because Narragansett people were allied with the English, um, Pequot people were kind of like their their land was kind of their property, sort of, kind of. Um and so if there's any living Pequot person trying to come into Narragansett territory as a refugee, you know, help me. Uh, Williams kind of forced the Narragansett hand to return those refugees over to Massachusetts Bay Colony for punishment. Uh, many of these Pequot people are actually sold into the Caribbean. Um, in... It's not 1636. Um, in the late 1630s, uh, that's actually how the first African slaves come up to New England, into Massachusetts. So they trade um, indigenous bodies in the Caribbean for black bodies that come back up. So at this point, Williams isn't doing great. Um, after the war and all of this stuff, um, he continues to contradict his outward beliefs with his actions. Um, in 1643, the United Colonies of New England is formed uh, by Hartford, Connecticut, Massachusetts Bay, and Plymouth Colonies. And that's, it's basically like a League of Nations type thing. Um, if people attack us, well, you'll help us. If people attack you, we'll help you. Communication, trade, all that good stuff. Um, Providence is left out and so is other Rhode Island uh, settlements that are, exist by 1643, which are Portsmouth and Newport. And Roger Williams is kind of like, oh shit, because they're saying, well, we have royal charters. You don't yet. So we're going to take your land and there's nothing you can do about it. So Roger Williams goes to England 
And despite the fact that he said colonial royal charters are not valid, he goes to the king and asks for a royal charter. Which he gets in um, 1644. And when this happens, uh, that creates the colony of Providence Plantation, which is um, Providence, Newport, and Portsmouth kind of all lumped together as one major colony. Ironically, up until 2020, the actual state name was Rhode Island and Providence Plantations. Um, in 2020, they dropped the of and Providence Plantations, which is fun because going to school in Rhode Island, my undergrad says Rhode Island and Providence Plantations, but my master's just says Rhode Island. So he comes back, he's got his royal charter, even though those are irrelevant. And then, you know, some time passes, and during the 1670s, King Philip's War breaks out. I keep on saying this during this episode, but this is a whole other thing that happens. Um, a lot of people see this as the last kind of breath of open um, defiance and fight back on the part of the Wampanoag people against the English. It's a lot more complicated than that. Uh, but Williams is involved. Rhode Island's involved. It's goes up to Maine. It's this whole, it's a huge outbreak of war. Um, these days I've seen people refer to it as the first Algonquin War. I'll definitely cover it later. Um, but so in the 1670s, Williams works again with the Narragansett and he kind of gets them to kind of declare neutrality. Uh, the Narragansett are kind of like, we don't want to be involved here. Which sucks because Narragansett bodies continue to be attacked, killed, and enslaved. Um, mostly because for the English, it was kind of, we have to get rid of them all. And I don't know my ally from my enemy, basically. More people are enslaved. Um, now, this is really quick. This is a real gloss over of King Philip's War, and I admit that. Um, but after, so the state of Rhode Island, Roger Williams is still around, and they kind of say, hey, what should we do with all these um, native captives? What should we do with these people? What, what, what's your opinion? And Roger Williams' opinion was to sell them, quote, into servitude and divide the profits, unquote. So, so much for enslavement causing future conflict. His son actually even takes a ship of um, indigenous people to Newport to sell, again, mostly into the Caribbean. Um, there's actually a Wampanoag um, and, a, and Pequot um, community down Bermuda. So there's still Wampanoag people down in the Caribbean because of what's happening here, because of actions by Roger Williams. And they actually have a powwow. So every other year, um, they have a powwow down Bermuda and a powwow up here so that they can still see their cousins and things, which I want to go to Bermuda. Um, but yeah, so then Roger Williams continues on. Uh, he dies in the 1680s and becomes a tree. Um, one other thing that he does, he, despite the fact that he's not really so, um, he is kind of heralded uh, as this kind of friend of the natives. 
Um, and through this, he actually publishes a book called A Key into the Language of America. I will um, post this in the show notes if anyone is curious. Um, and this is basically him taking Narragansett and Wampanoag words and translating them. All with a grain of salt, from what I understand, but it does help to kind of look back with language reclamation projects that have been going on. But yeah, so that is the story <laughs> of Roger Williams and the founding of Rhode Island. Um, if you want to know more about Roger Williams and slavery, in New England, I highly recommend Margaret Newell's uh, Brethren by Nature. Um, I just wanted to throw that out there. There's some other books that I used and other sources that I will put in the show notes, but Brethren by Nature is ac absolutely excellent. Um, I've heard her speak, and she is basically adopted into the Narragansett tribe. Um, when I was watching her speak, people from the Narragansett tribe actually presented her with a woven blanket to say thank you for her work so that's a good enough um recommendation for me <laughs> but yeah do you have anything to add dave i know that's a lot and i know it's confusing because he's kind of bopping around and doing all these things and it's a lot of um like read more on this topic because it's just so involved, but yeah. No, I knew some of the information. So I actually taught um, Rhode Island history um, in the last district I was a part of. And some of it I knew about Roger Williams, about him being kicked out. It was funny. Uh, so one of the sources I read from JSTOR use Winstrup's own words and mm -hmm. it was funny Winstrup calling Roger Williams stubborn when Winstrup is all sorts of stubborn. They're both well. stubborn mules. They are absolutely so stubborn. It's amazing. Yeah, I was reading I was like texting my co-workers being like I'm reading 17th century sources and I'm not even at work. <laughs> but It's all it's also funny how the Boston church not being happy with Roger Williams just followed him throughout. Like, they were so, what do you mean you don't want to be part of our colony whatsoever? Right. What do you mean you don't want to be part of our church? So I thought that was funny in how uh, Plymouth and Mass Bay were like, get over yourself over the whole thing. And Boston was just that no he's he's no good he's no good here right it's like the overarching people like a big hand is like screw this guy but then the actual people are like hey <laughs> you're Leave a cynical cool guy you just need to stop yeah i taught rhode island history i actually just found my powerpoint for colonial rhode island mm. uh from soon teaching yikes um i won't even mention it because we started at the Rhode Island Charter. So something in my brain even back then knew, I don't want to talk about this guy. <laughs> Sorry to my students. Um, you guys just wanted me to talk about the mafia anyway. So I don't think. I don't think that's all Rhode Island. That's, that's 
what all kids want to get out of Rhode Island history. Yep. It's the mafia and mafia. Yeah. They're like, when are we going to talk about this? And I said, probably after I'm already graduated. Sorry, guys. But yeah. Um, yeah, I actually have a copy of A Key into the Language of America. Um, it's the Tomahawk uh, Museum Edition. So it's, it's, um, I actually think I have that same exact one. Probably. Yep. I have that one. It's really good. The intro is really good. And I love that they're like, yes, this is really good and helpful, but also Roger Williams has to sit down and shut up. Right. So I have, so it was interesting though, looking at your sources because I, I only know Roger Williams through the Rhode Island history course I took back in 2012 uh along with the stuff that I did when I when I taught the subject right so seeing him in this lens is very eye-opening and it does bring a bunch of other things to question about the Rhode Island founding and what Rhode Island's true principles are beyond that. So it was nice hearing it and seeing the sources you used, especially as I I actually have what's the other one. God in Providence is the other one I have. That's on the the list of things to read as well. So definitely now puts those in the forefront once I'm done with grad school reading of reading those. So I can just know more about my little bubble. Yeah, it's um, it's really I've I've read it. Um, a God War in Providence by James Warren. That's another one that um, it's he does an amazing job. It's a really it's really well done. I he does other books as well of New England history. Um, and yeah, it's one of those things I saw that Barnes Noble, and I was like, oh, I think I need to read that and buy it but yeah and then there's so many things that like i have just like it's like called like rhode island a history and it's just so different lens of the other books because it's rose-colored glasses right which happens all the time i mean i talked to my mother about even christopher columbus because when she was in school in the 70s you're not going to learn that he was a rapist and this huge asshole. You're going to hear he's discovered America and we should all be happy that he's there. Well, and I think, you know, that kind of brings the... Because most people ask, what's the significance of historians and the work that they do? The importance of historians is asking new questions of old things and showing those different perspectives and I think it's more prevalent nowadays when it comes to looking at historical events and needing both sides and the contextual information. So I think it's important to have those conversations. Again, even me, I'm not a, I am a Rhode Island historian to an extent, but not massively. And I'm definitely right. not a colonial one. So getting even this information here was impactful and meaningful. So I, I thank you for this. 
Sure. Yeah. I was like, we have to talk about the man, the myth, the legend. The Definitely reason- a legend, somewhat of a myth. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, you founded a city and a state and you said cool stuff, but also, yikes. <laughs> Some problems. It's problematic. Thank you so much, Lauren, for all the great information. And once everything is up to date, I encourage everyone to go out and find these sources. So that way they can get better understanding of the founding of New England from a more balanced perspective lens. Thank you all so much for tuning into this episode. We appreciate all of our listeners and the support that we've received. Please rate, download, review, and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. It is a small and simple thing that you can do to help out the pod in a very big way. If you would like to interact with us, there are several different ways that you can do that. You can reach out to us on X or Twitter, whatever best floats your boat for the day, Instagram and Facebook at Operation Hist. You can also choose an email at Operation History Podcast at gmail.com, or you can view our website, Operation History Podcast WordPress.com. All of our sources and show notes for the episode will be uploaded along with the episode. Thank you all for joining us this evening. And this is Operation History signing off. Do, 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 do.